Hello, and welcome to Staff Picks, the movie podcast by movie nerds for movie nerds. My name is Mario Lanza, and I will be your host. And uh, this is a new podcast. I'm uh, Thank you for joining me. And uh, basically, the premise of this show is I'm just getting movie nerds to get together to talk about the movies in the past, in their lives, or something that means something to them. But more importantly, that could use a little more love. I wouldn't really say... These are going to be underrated movies we talk about on the show. It's just going to be movies that deserve more love. And uh, to give you my history, my name is Mario Lanza again. I've spent years watching movies, obsessing over movies, recommending movies to people. And so that's what the point of the show is, just to get, get my friends here, get some people that know movies. We'll talk about them for a while, and we'll just nerd out. And hopefully we will give you some recommendations on new movies to watch. And uh, maybe a movie you've seen before and didn't really appreciate, maybe you'd give it a second chance. So... With that being said, we're going to launch right into our first episode here. My goal is to keep these things moving kind of brisk. Um, Our first episode here is about the comedy movie from 1984 called Top Secret, and we will delve into what it is, what it's about, who the stars are in quite a bit. But before we do that, I would like to introduce you to my first guest. His name is uh, Michael Albright. He's a good friend of mine. He, uh, let's see, what can I say about you, Mike? You are an associate vice president of student affairs at Wilmington College. Yeah. Mike is a uh, city councilman in the city of, what, Wilmington, Ohio? Is that correct? Yes, yes, sir. Yes. And most importantly, and this is the big one on this show, Mike is a former video store clerk. And this is going to become very important. We're going to have a lot of video store clerks. And again, this is a profession that I hold in high regard. We're going into the Quentin Tarantino school here where people who live and work around movies in the 80s and 90s growing up just really know a lot about movies. So that being said, Mike Albright, welcome to the show. It's my pleasure to be here. I, it's it's great to talk about this this movie. I love Top Secret, and I'm an advocate for it. And, and a lot of people haven't seen it, so I want to make sure people check it out because it's it's a it's a gem that people just don't know about. The the two movies closely connected with it, I think people are a lot more familiar with, which are uh, Airplane and Naked Gun, made by the the same three directors. So I, I definitely whatever I can do to help Top Secret get uh, more recognition, I want to be a part of. Excellent. Yeah, okay, to give a little backstory, again, I, I'm probably giving more backstory than I need on some of these movies when we get into these podcasts, but one thing I want people to keep in mind that a lot of the uh, listeners on this show are going to be much younger. It's kind of going to be uh, marketed or geared towards a younger, maybe college-age audience, so these are not movie people that know all these movies off the top of their head. So a lot of these titles, they're coming out, they've never heard of this stuff before. So I'll give you a little backstory. Top Secret is the follow-up to the 1980 comedy Airplane, which, uh, to this day, one of the most beloved comedies of all time. I think it was in the AFI. Mike, is this correct? It was in the AFI, like the number one comedy of it the was in the top, It was in the, co- the top comedies, for sure. I don't think it was one, just because of some of those you know screwball things from like the 50s and stuff, but mm-hmm. it's definitely in the top ten. It's revered by many people as a, as a great movie. Okay, yeah, so Airplane, a universally beloved comedy. Almost everybody has seen it. It basically invented... A certain type of comedy, kind of this slapstick, uh, sight gags, visual humor. It's it invented a whole style of comedy, and then four years later they did a follow up to it called Top Secret. So this is the follow up to Airplane. This is, I mean, <laughs> how do you follow up a movie like Airplane? Well, you write this one, and so this is basically their second try. And we'll get into it in a second, but it wasn't as well received as Airplane. And then they made a third movie called The Naked Gun, which was also universally beloved. And now we're going to talk about the second one here, Top Secret. The the Jan Brady, the middle child, if you will, of the Zucker-Abrams-Zucker comedies. 
Yeah, it's airplane, 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 but that's what Top Secret always screams at, at the house. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, so uh, let's see. What do people know? need to know about this movie? It's a spy movie. It's a mm-hmm. uh, kind of a musical Elvis movie, kind of a parody of Elvis movies. And the most important thing to know about it is that the, the star of this movie is a very young Val Kilmer, who he had, I believe had never done a movie before. They kind of plucked him out of nowhere, gave him his first movie role, and uh, he later had a much longer career. But yeah, this is the Val Kilmer showcase, I would say. Yeah, the year before, uh, what, Real Genius was a year after this, and then uh, his probably that was a breakout role, but then uh, you know, Top Gun was really big from the two years from this. But this was the beginning. I think he was in one other small movie, but this is his first lead. And he carries he's the he's the focal point, his journey um, to go to apparently East Germany in the nineteen eighties. Uh, one of the biggest issues with the movie, like Mario mentioned, is it's it's supposed to be a play on World War II spy movies and Elvis movies. If those two genres had a child, it would be top secret. And then they'd have a curly uh curly blonde hair and be buff that would be the child of those two movies so yeah that's that's what we're looking at and uh, and that's what that's what top secret is and i think you could probably summarize the plot a little more concisely than i can because it's one of those movies they even make a joke within top secret about halfway in about how convoluted and weird it is it's unlike you know it was a second major parody like this so you want to give a synopsis of like kind of what's happening in the story. Yeah, okay, I'll do my best. This is going to be explaining the plot of Top Secret, or really any of these screwball comedies is going to be kind of interesting. Okay, so as near as I can figure it, there's these the East German, these evil East German leaders who were basically Nazis, although they don't, don't flat out say they're Nazis, but it's this evil communist regime in East Germany sometime after World War II, and they're plotting some evil event, and I, I kind of forget what it is. Like they're they're they have this special mine that's going to blow up all these submarines of their enemies or something. Am I getting that correct, Mike? Yeah, the Polaris mine, and it's gonna it, it attracts submarines to it, and then I apparently blows them up. And then while that's going on, there's a cultural festival. Yes. Yeah. And that's the thing. Yeah. So, yeah, there's this they're plotting this nefarious scheme. And while they're doing all this, they need to put on event an event or something to distract the rest of the world. So nobody realizes what they're doing. So they're putting together this music and cultural festival, inviting singers from around the world. And somehow by a screw up, the first choice of the Americans was Leonard Bernstein. He can't make it. So the number two choice from America comes and it ends up being Nick Rivers, an American rock and roll star. And that's going to be the kind of the the culture clash here where we have a uh, a Soviet or a East German communist bloc country where rock and roll is about to be introduced to it. And that's really the plot, right? That's the plot, yeah. And in this fictional time period, apparently in the 80s, Nick Rivers is a big celebrity. There's a sight gag joke at the very be- early beginning that, you know, starring Nick Rivers and featuring Linda Ronstadt, um, Shoot, and then if time permits, Frank Sinatra. Yeah, yeah, yeah Linda Ronstadt, Stevie Wonder, and time permitting, Frank Sinatra. So Nick Rivers was a big deal in this fake world of pseudo neo-Nazi eighties <laughs> Germany slash East Germany, but you're not sure exactly what's going on. So that's that's the plot. Uh, what's your what's your personal background with your history with uh, <laughs> with Top Secret? 
<laughs> oh, so I'm so glad you asked. That was totally improvised and not set up at all. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, no, we, Mike and I have talked about this before. We both have a very interesting movie or a history with this movie. And I, I, I have to say that Airplane was a big comedy in 1980. Again, everyone saw it. I was six years old in 1980. So it was a bit racy for me, but the jokes, the dirty jokes were kind of over my head. So I didn't really get them. Although there was a full-on pair of, of breasts at one point in the movie, which I'm sure my parents weren't thrilled about. So Airplane was a big hit, and then Top Secret comes out in, in four years later, and I'm 10 years old. And I want to see Top Secret. It looks like the funniest thing ever. They have funny commercials. It's by the guys who made Airplane. And, of course, I'm a budding young comedy writer. I just want to see anything that makes me laugh. So I want to see Top Secret, and I go to my parents. I'm like, can I see this? And they take one look at the, the, the movie poster or the, the commercials, the back of the VHS tape. I forget what it was. And there's a picture of there of a girl laying down on the beach and she's raising up and there's two imprints of her boobs left on the sand. And my parents are like, yeah, we might have to watch that one first before we show this to our son. This is a, this is going to become a recurring thing on the show that I was not allowed to see R-rated movies. My parents were very strict about this and they were unyielding. Like a couple of years later, my brother wanted to see an Eddie Murphy movie and they had to practically pass a constitutional amendment to allow that. That's how strict they were. So, so yeah. So my parents watched Top Secret. They rented it and they watched it first. And the next day they're like, okay, yeah, it's cool. You can watch it. And to this day, I'm amazed that it somehow got through their screening process because this is a filthy, dirty movie. Yeah, did they watch Top Secret? Because I'm thinking of at least and so five scenes that you should – what were they thinking to let a young kid watch that? Yeah, somehow they fast-forwarded through the anal intruder scene, and then there's the uh, the scene at the end of the movie where a bull rapes a guy, and then there's a cow blowjob. So somehow this passed my parents' strict specifications of a, a mild PG comedy. So I will always give thanks for the fact that my parents watched this movie and passed it and somehow were distracted. I don't know what else was going on in the room that night, maybe... Who knows what they were up to? But yeah, it was passed and it was allowed. And I thank goodness, even though it is one of the dirtier PG comedies of the 80s. And it's interesting, the uh, yeah, being a PG, and I think time-wise, it was like two weeks after the whole scuttlebutt with Gremlins and Temple of Doom where the MPAA wanted to change the rating system mm -hmm. to add the PG-13. So with the time-wise, I think it would have been a PG-13 if it had been released you know, a month or two later in 84 because that was kind of a watershed moment for yeah. that to happen. I, it's very racy, and yeah, I would agree, because Naked Gun, which came out four years later, had a, a lot of similar jokes like that, and it was it was PG thirteen, but there were even airplanes, you know, PG, and it's like you mentioned with breasts in it. So that it was a different time in nineteen eighty boobs. That was PG. So. Yeah, it was it was the thing. Like I think that was the only thing my parents were looking for: full frontal nudity of a female. As long as there's none of that, it's approved for their son. So that speaks a lot to the morality of the times, I would say. And well, that you get away with anything, just no yeah. boobs. <laughs> Yeah, Americans are great. Like, you can watch hundreds of people die in a movie, like all those 80s classics, like Commando and all these, but, you know, anything romantic where you're making a human, that's not cool, but killing humans, that's that's totally fine. Kill away, violence, yeah. fine. That's not an issue. Yeah, my dad, my dad, I, I, I think he regretted allowing me to see Top Secret because I just completely went off the deep end with dirty comedies after that, to the point that The Naked Gun would later be banned in our house. I was not allowed to ever watch that after a couple of the... The sexual assault with a concrete dildo scene, I think, was the one that got me on that one. Yeah, that, <laughs> another another day, another time. So, well, okay, my, my 
Yeah, I want to hear your story. I know you have a good history with this movie as well. Yeah, I kind I came in a lot later in 1984. I was four. I wasn't watching this. I'm pretty sure in the summer of '84, the only movie I saw in the theater was The Muppets Take Manhattan, which is a whole different movie than Top Secret. But mm-hmm. I came into it. Uh, my dad took me to see Naked Gun in the theater in '88. And uh, I loved it. Then he's like, well, he liked all these comedies. And I think by that time I was familiar with Airplane. I'm almost sure I was aware of it to then want to go see Naked Gun. So I, I saw the cover of the movie at the video store because video stores were big to me. We had two in my hometown. I didn't start working at those. I actually didn't become a working in the movie store industry until I was in college. But – I checked it out and I just was like, there's a cow on the cover and polka dots and it's wearing boots. And I'm like, what is this thing? It's got to be hilarious. And then I just fell in love with it. My, it just became an annual thing at my campouts with my friends. We would watch it and make just referencing all the jokes in the movie. And there's so many jokes preparing for the podcast. I, I'm a nerd. I sat down with an entire post-it pad and wrote down everything I found funny in the time it happened in the movie and mm-hmm. I filled an entire post-it booklet because there was just you know so much going on but I just like the the one-liners and the, the the sight gags the puns and then the layered jokes like there's one thing going on and this other thing goes on and then this is the amount of jokes in this movie are great and the best part about it is it's not like you know, a lot of parodies after Naked Gun, not like these, you know, Top Secret, is they're just parroting other movies, and that's all they do. Top mm-hmm. Secret has one or two references to other movies, but it's its whole own entity, and I think that's what I love about it. Is it's, it's just it's it, it's something that the directors wrote together mm-hmm. with one of the writer, and it's just not like anything else and it's not a play on anything else which is kind of different than the history of the franchise yeah and i've heard them talk about this in interviews where they say one of the movies maybe top one of the reasons top secret wasn't maybe as revered as the other movies is because it's not a parody of any one specific thing yeah they're like yeah we want to do some world war ii stuff we want to do some elvis stuff we want to do the blue lagoon like it's not apparently airplane a lot of people don't know this they think airplane is just a, a parody of disaster movies like Airplane. What's hilarious about that is that they, they, the Zucker brothers and Jim Abrams, they found this old script from a movie called Zero Hour from 1957, and they just mm-hmm. used the exact same script. It's literally the exact script of a movie from the 50s, and they just added jokes to it. It's like it's like so. If you watch Zero Hour, it's hilarious because it's all the setups and none of the punchlines. It's like uh, this man has to be gotten to a hospital. A hospital? What is it? And then instead of saying, uh, yeah, and then in Zero Hour, they'll say food poisoning. Like, it's all the setups without the punchline. So that's what's hilarious about Zero Hour. And then Top Secret came around, and they actually had to try to write a screenplay. And they had to write characters, and they had to, you know, give them motivations and, and give three acts. So, like, this was their first attempt at writing a screenplay, and it's just a mess because it's all over the place, and there's no, no, uh, there's no structure or anything. But, yeah, that's one of the charms, I think, about it. It's really just... Three uh, comedy writers trying to, f- to figure out their best how to write a movie, and they're just balls to the wall and so brazen. And they 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 didn't they, they were at the height of their popularity, so they were anything they thought was funny they just put in. And I think yeah. they did an amazing job because I think if they if the if the order was replaced, like if Naked Gun had been after the TV Naked Gun, and then mm-hmm. Top Secret was the end, I don't know if they would have the guts to do some of the stuff they did in the movie because there's just some things. In Top Secret, that there's just whole scenes that 
I've never seen in another movie. And that there, there's a couple scenes that they're pretty well known for that are just totally different than anything else in any movie that I can recall. Yeah, I think we should talk about one of them. Or this is it comes later in the movie, but this is kind of the big elephant in the room when you talk about Top Secret. And again, for people who have never seen this movie, and even for people who have seen this movie, they might not get the joke of the scene. There's there's a scene in Top Secret where uh, Val Kilmer and Lucy Gutteridge, the the lead actress, go into a Swedish bookstore, and they talk to Peter Sellers, Peter Cushing, right? Peter Cushing, who's a a owner of a Swedish bookstore. And it's kind of a weird scene. Like, the dialogue's kind of off, it's subtitled, there's the characters are making weird movements. And at the end of the scene, you notice, oh, the whole thing was filmed backwards because you'll just you'll, they give away they kind of give away the joke at the end of the scene. And a lot of people, like for years, you'd watch that and you say, oh, that's kind of cute. Like, there's not really a reason for that scene to be in the movie; it's just there. But what's funny about that joke, and I've seen them talk about it in interviews before, and that the the reason that scene exists is because there's a thing among linguists, people that write dialogue, people that know dialogue, that Swedish sounds like English played backwards. It's just kind of a known thing. And the Zucker's brothers and Abrams are like, let's freak it. Let's, let's put that into a movie. Let's just write a scene and have them film it backwards. And then we'll run it in reverse in the movie. And then all the English will sound like Swedish. And that's it. It's literally, a, literally a linguistic joke. And that's the thing. You just kind of have to know that to appreciate why that joke is there. And that's, again, that's such a ballsy thing for a filmmaker to put in a movie. Like, most people aren't going to get that joke. There's no, that's not an obvious joke. Aha, look, it's English played backwards, it's Swedish. But it's something that linguists would know. And it's just kind of an inside joke. And again, that's something that only filmmakers that are at very heights of their popularity and have that those kind of balls will put in a movie. Because that, that, that scene isn't going to hit with most people. Yeah, and there's no rule. I mean, it could have been even, you could have cut the scene down if, to a third of its time, they're just there to meet somebody and then hide in the guy's attic. Like they yeah. didn't even need to do. There was no real reason to to do the setup, but it's just a great visual thing. And it's one of the things that people have heard of Top Secret. Mm-hmm. They've heard of that scene, which is great. And it also features one of the only real cameos of celebrities. I think one of the things that hurt Top Secret versus the two movies around it is that the number of cameos by celebrities is dramatically lower in this middle installment. And I'm not sure why that's the case. If they just mm-hmm. didn't want to have all the guest stars, I never really heard the directors mention anything specifically about that. They've only got Peter Cushing and then Omar Sharif is in the beginning. Who's a mm-hmm. famous actor from some, you know, classic movies. And he's only in the like first third of the movie. So aside from that, there's no really big names in this movie versus when you think of naked gun, there's some, you know, there's no famous act, uh, athletes in Top Secret. No, I guess that's why they make some great athletic jokes in it, but there's no mm-hmm. – I, I just don't understand the, the 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 lack of celebrity cameos. And yeah. I don't know if you've heard any reason to that. Why or – I've never heard it. I mean, uh, to give a little history, we always have to kind of talk about these movies in, in as a trio. But an airplane – they had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, big famous basketball player for the Lakers at the time. Although the trivia is that that role was actually written for Pete Rose, the baseball player. I don't know if a lot of people yeah. know that, and Kareem kind of stepped in. But yeah, then you had Robert Stack in the air. You had but Lloyd Bridges. Like there's a Peter Graves. There's a lot of big name stars in Airplane, and in Top Secret, there's really none. There's, I mean, Val Kilmer became a star, but he wasn't. And yeah, Omar oh, yeah. Sharif is in it for what two scenes. Before he gets yeah. an erection and then and then <laughs> goes off. Yeah. An erection, yeah. Yeah, he ends up with a lady's breast in his face. So, yeah, there's no there's no stars, and then you get to the third one, 
the Naked Gun, and that's got Reggie Jackson in there. Then you got Ricardo Montalban. You got Leslie Nielsen was a big star because of Airplane. So yeah, that's OJ. again, yeah, OJ, yeah, that, that's that's right. OJ Simpson, yeah, yeah. Don't if you're if you don't if you're not familiar with OJ Simpson, don't look look up anything he did after the Naked Gun. <laughs> that was when he peaked. Focus on Naked Gun and <laughs> when he was a running back, not any other things. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah, I, I mean that's. To this day, I think Top Secret, I, I've heard the, the directors and the writers talk about it, and they're all kind of disappointed that it, they think it's a flop. It never really made the money that the other ones did. And I mean, that's that's true. It, it was a big hit. I think you you were telling me you did some research on 1984 movies, and it was actually a fairly big hit, right? Yeah, it, it, it made $20 million, and it was the 52nd highest grossing movie. But for some, for people, children, kids of the 80s, and hopefully the younger folks that are here, uh, some forgotten movies like Never Ending Story to me is definitely something that is just in my. I'm just aware of it because I'm an '80s kid, mm-hmm. but it, it outgrossed Never Ending Story. Mm-hmm. So I think it did well. It didn't do it. it see, Airplane when it came out, I think made eighty or ninety million dollars, and Top Secret only made twenty. So yeah. it made it made money. It just didn't make as much money that, as Paramount wanted it to make. So it was considered a flop, and they've been living with that for. 34 years but i i think it's and i think it's it's got a, it's got a pretty good cult following too i would say there's a fair amount of people that are aware of this and will quote it so i i know it it's not a huge box office numbers there but i think it's it's got some good legs with the the fans of this movie uh really like it and it's mostly from what i've seen you know, even talking about doing this, it's it seems like a, a guy's movie, and I think a lot of these parodies are more of a, you know, guy's flicks. I asked my fiance to watch it with me last mm-hmm. weekend, and then when I asked her, like, hey, babe, what are some of your, you know, <laughs> favorite moments or something that really made you laugh in the movie, and she just deadpan looks right at me like Leslie Nielsen would in one of the other <laughs> movies. She's like, I, I can't really recall anything specifically. I'm like, what? This is like one of my two favorite movies, and it's like nothing? Yeah. <laughs> None of this stuff in here made you laugh? Yeah, I, I mean, you and your fiancé may have to go through counseling before this marriage because of that issue right there. We, we might have to talk to a, a priest. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you said this is one of your two favorite movies. I, I will say I, I want to get into how many times you've seen this movie over the years, but I'll give you my history that – yeah. When my brother and I were kids, we we had basically had the downstairs all to ourselves, and it was our run of the house. And as long as a movie was approved, we could watch it. So we'd always have a movie. And again, we wouldn't sit there and watch the movie. It would just be on in the background as we're playing video games or playing wiffle ball or wrestling or whatever, doing all sorts of other stuff. So I must have had Top Secret on in the background. I probably have listened to it at least 200 times in my lifetime. That's how often this movie has seeped into my psyche and I, I always say that there's a couple movies that were just on endless loop in our house, just in the background. Johnny Dangerously was one, Top Secret, The Bad News Bears, Karate Kid, stuff like that. But I think Top Secret, if you are very liberal in your definition of seeing a movie, I think I've seen it probably 200 or more times, just how many times it's just been on in the background. And it's one of those. And I know you're very similar, right? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's up to 200, but I, I'm pretty sure it's been on – I've watched it at least – between 100 and 150 times and actually like fully watch the entire movie. Mm-hmm. I'd probably say around 50 times. Cause my best friend and I alone, I know we've watched it at least 25 times. Just the, just the two of us. Mm-hmm. And two days ago I watched it in French just to see what the new experience would be like to see it 
you know, in French with English subtitles. I just had never done that. I wanted to, you know, pay attention to what was going on to make sure I was getting some of the dialogue down. But yeah, I, it's the second, the, the only movie I've seen more than this is Goonies. And, you know, Goonies doesn't need to be featured like this because Goonies is a beloved classic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and- just, I. I was going to say Top Secret is beloved in its own way, but just not as loudly. I mean, there's a lot of people, like you said, you start posting things about Top Secret on the Internet, on Facebook, stuff like that. People will come running and want to want to talk about it and mention their favorite scenes. And I believe I just recently heard this is Weird Al Yankovic's favorite movie. Yeah, I've, I've heard that, too. I think he uh, it's his favorite movie. And he ran into um, Val Kilmer on an airplane and they were both in first class and they were sitting in the aisles and he. Waited till the end of the movie, or the end of the movie. Oh, I don't wonder what movie they showed on the flight, but until the end of the flight, to see, to say to Val Kilmer, like, hey, I'm a big fan, and my favorite movie of yours is Top Secret, and, Top, and Val Kilmer's like, wow, really? You're going to go with that one? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I think the only thing worse you could have probably said is, like, The Island of Dr. Moreau, like, I mean, <laughs> or just the mainstream, like, non-connectedness to a, a movie. He just, there's just... Everyone affiliated with this movie just talks so much smack about it. So that's a lot of it is it's not fans necessarily saying it. It's it's kind of just become forgotten, and the people affiliated with it like to just bag on it just because it's it's so easy. Just because they they made a lot of mistakes, and the, the good thing about the directors and this has you know the the Zaz, it's the Zucker Abrams and Zucker mm-hmm. that made I think five or six movies together. Mm-hmm. It's just. Uh, they just don't support it, and they they'll be the first ones to criticize it. So it's funny. Yeah, and it, see that to me that's disappointing because I can think of no higher point of comedy in the '80s than the Zaz the Zaz movies. Yeah. And again, I'm it's I'm there's going to be some sticklers who know this, and I'm kind of fudging the timeline here. Airplane really wasn't their first movie. A lot of people yeah. think it was. They did a movie a couple of years that before that called the Kentucky Fried Movie, which I am a huge fan of, and there's no way we're not going to have an episode about that at some point. But the Kentucky Fried Movie is for a specific audience, and it's absolutely one of the dirtiest movies I've ever seen, and it's very dated. And again, yeah, we'll talk about that later. But that was their first movie. And I think it's hilarious. And they did Airplane, which is amazing. They did Top Secret, which is like, again, the movie I've seen more than any other movie in my life. And again, as a comedy writer, that's a big deal. This is the movie that influenced me. Yeah, and I think the the neat part with the, you mentioned the Kentucky Fried movie, it started as a Kentucky Fried theater, and that's how Mm -hmm. they got to meet each other. And Val Kilmer grew up around them. And Mm -hmm. amazingly, he was familiar with their humor. So I think the biggest thing is, you know, Val Kilmer doesn't really come off comedically in the movie. He's got a decent sense of humor with a couple of the lines with, you know, talking about losing his parents. And, you know, he's aware of what's going on, but I, I just don't think he's just like, you know, Leslie Nielsen's illegitimate kid. He just the deadpanning <laughs> he does in the movie is, is yeah. memorable. Yeah. But again, yeah, it's just a shame that they're not proud of their work, because, again, anybody growing up in the 80s, this is the peak of comedy. And again, then there's a naked gun. And then there was a TV show in there, too, I guess. A lot of people don't know that, that there was a TV show called Police Squad, which yep. I think well, they only did six or seven or eight episodes. It wasn't it wasn't he was a huge flop, but it was so, it's so funny if you watch it now. And it was the precursor to the naked gun. And it gets again, if you were growing up in the 80s, this is the peak of comedy. There's nothing funnier than these movies. So it's just I just hope they will one day get their place in history where Nick where uh, Top Secret kind of joins the rest the rest of them. 
I hope it would. Yeah, just because the, the level of jokes and the stuff in the foreground and background and the types of jokes and it just it's it's very it, it's underappreciated for sure. Yeah. Now we're going to get into the movie. We're going to get into our favorite scenes here. That's going to be kind of one of the trademarks here on staff picks. But I know you have a funny story, and you told it to me off the air before we got on here about this movie getting you out of trouble as a kid. And I I, I just want to set this up by saying. Top Secret is an amazingly dirty movie, yet somehow it saved you from getting in trouble for watching even yeah. dirtier movies. Yeah, I mentioned uh, these campouts I'd have every year around my birthday. All my buddies, you know, like five or six of my best friends would come and just camp out at my house, like in the garage or outside or in the living room. And it was like two or three in the morning, and we were watching Cinemax oh, yeah. uh, After Dark, or as we called it, Skinemax, and there was some <laughs> kind of you know, NC-17 kind of level of activity going on. And we're all, we're probably like 13 or 14 and we're really into what we were watching. And my mom stumbles into the living room and as a, as a fail safe, I think like your household, Top Secret was just there in the VCR. I think we had probably watched it earlier that day, but mm-hmm. it was, I think we paused it to, because we're like, oh crap, Skinamax is on. We got to go watch that for a while. But I hit play. One of the scenes came on, and we had us all pretending like we were laughing, and my mom was just really tired. I'm like, hey, guys, everything okay? And we're like, yeah, everything's great. And then she goes back into the room, and we're like, shh. So we turn off Top Secret and go back to the Skinamax. But it bailed me out of yeah. – I don't know what I would have gotten in trouble with because my parents were, seem a lot more lenient than yours, but they were fine with us watching Top Secret. The annual intruder wasn't a big deal and some of these other movies. Like, yeah. <laughs> The stuff you see on Cinemax late at night, that would have definitely been an issue. So yeah. I'm glad that, that Top Secret bailed me out. It's For people who didn't grow up in the 80s with the, these movie channels and the scrambled channels, just picture the first scene in American Pie where Jim's trying to watch the scrambled porn, and that's what Mike's talking about here. Trying your best just to see anything that you're not allowed to see. We were trying our – we were giving it an old college try as 13-year-olds, and we were pretty successful, Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to ask what that meant, but but that means that you were successful. <laughs> okay. Well, we all enjoyed what we saw. There was something weird at another camp out that doesn't pertain to this at all that I'll tell you off the off the podcast. It was okay. just crazy junior high dude. So. <clears throat> okay. So we're about to delve into Top Secret and our favorite moments, our favorite scenes, anything that's kind of you know kept stuck with us over the years. And uh, and I'm going to warn you ahead of time. This is basically going to turn into the Chris Farley show, where we're sitting here going, "Hey, you remember when this happened? That was awesome." So that's really what's going to happen. And I can imagine it's going to happen on pretty much every episode of Staff Picks. I haven't planned this out. I don't really have an outline, but we're just kind of going to go with it. But I have to say, the reason why I picked Mike for this podcast is because, like I said, I love Top Secret. I'm always referencing it. And any time this, I don't know how he does this. Anytime I mention Top Secret, it's like flashing the freaking bat signal that Mike will be, within an hour, he will respond to it with some other Top Secret quote. And I don't know yeah. how he knows I posted about it. I don't know what what kind of stalker you are. But this was happening back on MySpace. This is, happens, on, happens on Facebook, Twitter. If I mention Top Secret, it will summon Mike. It's like summoning Beetlejuice. It's amazing. I have my own Polaris mind that... It tracks my my humor to your jokes about Top Secret. So I it's spinning around. It's in the it's in a submarine, and that's how I do it. Okay, okay. So here we go. We're going to delve into Top Secret. I've said maybe we should come up with five scenes, moments, jokes, just anything you kind of wanted to highlight. And just before we get into that, I'm just going to again reiterate the the, the facts here. This is the the follow up to Airplane. 
pretty big hit at the time, although kind of lost over the years. Val Kilmer, who was known for being a stick in the mud and not fun at all, somehow made his movie debut as a singing comedian. And he does all his own music in the movie, which is hilarious. And the soundtrack for this movie actually sold pretty well. Like Val Kilmer sings like six songs or seven. And they released the soundtrack in 84, and it was a pretty big hit. And I heard it's a collector's item these days. So, ah, yeah. Know that. Yeah, go look into it. See if you can find the soundtrack. All right, so we are going to delve into the Jim, was it Jerry, David, Jerry Zucker, David Zucker, Jim Abrams, comedy, yep. Top Secret. Now, give me your first nomination. Just something you, you've always liked about this movie that has stuck with you that you'd like to talk about. Well, the, there's this, the, the celebrity we talked about, Omar Sharif. He's, uh, his name is Cedric in the movie, and he's trying to escape these East Germans. So he, he gets away from them on a train, and then he gets captured in his, in his rental car, and he gets crushed into a cube. Mm-hmm. And it's a great side gag where Cedric comes back to see this lady who he's connected with named Hillary, who's one of the, the female lead, and he walks in, and he's a crushed car. And through the tire hole, you can see his face, and he flops around and lays on the ground, and Hillary's trying to talk to him, and she needs to get tickets for this performance that they're doing with these other celebrities out of his glove compartment, but he's been crushed. Mm-hmm. So she, she, she goes to try to find what's going on, and she goes, you know, try your one hand, and he gets sprayed in the face, and the windshield wiper goes across, and try the other hand, and it, it, it honks the horn, and then she lays on him, to try to help him figure out what's going on. And, oh, it's right after she dumps Hawaiian punch into him. Like, he's, he actually, somehow, when you get crushed in a car, you have to, you, you instead of drinking oil, you have to drink Hawaiian punch. But she lays on him, and his, her boobs are in his face. And when you're a kid, you knew what was going on. Like, if some lady was laying on me, I know what I would have done, too. His, his erection is an antenna from the car. And it goes up and it honks. And it's just this great collective scene of like, and I've never seen that in, in any movie before and in any movie since that, you know, if you get crushed in a car, you're just going to die. You don't like walk around. And then I don't, I don't think it's resolved in the movie after that. Like, you know, what, what the hell happened to Cedric? That's one of the great mysteries to me about Top Secret. There's many mysteries about like after this movie, kind of what happened mm-hmm. in the fake movie universe. Like what happened to Cedric? <laughs> who's feeding him the Hawaiian punch now like I, I don't know yeah somehow again that's one of the scenes that somehow made made it past my parents I don't know how that was allowed in a PG movie but I will say it's it's hilarious for people to realize that what Mike's talking about is the scene with Cedric crushed up in a little car compactor that Omar Sharif was a very well respected serious dramatic actor he didn't do comedies so just it was just hilarious to picture him in this scene, which was basically Jim Carrey, something Jim Carrey would do, crushed up in a little cube, having yeah. a woman lay across him with an antenna boner. So it's just it's just hilarious that the Zucker brothers, hey, let's get Omar Sharif to do this. Yeah, because if you actually got crushed by a car, none of that is plausible at all. That's why it's so funny that you wouldn't be walking around and honking your horn and definitely not raising your antenna. Yeah. Uh, Okay, I'll give my first thing that I've always loved about this movie, and, and to give people a history that I, I am basically a comedy writer now. I do a lot of writing about TV shows, pop culture, just general stuff about things that I find funny, and uh, I have a pretty decent readership. So, like, there are certain things over the years that have stuck with me, and there's a certain type of joke that the Zucker brothers and Jim Abrams do in their movies that just 
absolutely is near and dear to my heart. And there's, and it's the, the best instance I can think of is in Top Secret, where it's it's a very literal joke. That's the best way I can describe it. Where there's a scene in the ballet where Val Kilmer and Lucy Goodridge are running away from the East German police and they're trying to hide. They're in like a theater and they're running through the halls trying to find a room to hide in. And they come to the janitor closet and it just says janitor across the door. And they open it up and sure enough, there's a janitor just standing there holding a mop, smiling at them. Yep. And they close the door and just run and keep moving. And again, it's it's such a stupid, literal joke. When you see janitor on the door, you open it up and there is literally a janitor standing there. But what I love about it is that they don't linger on the joke. They don't mug. There's not like a little sound effect, like doink. Like there's not something yeah. dumb like that. They just, it just, oh, there's a janitor. And they move on to the next room. And it's just that li- little things like that, as I do a lot of in my writing, I try to do literal jokes like that that just kind of hit you real quick. It's like a hammer and they're stupid and there's no rationale. But you know it's dumb, but you just go for it anyway. And what's funny is that there's a follow-up joke right after that where yeah. they, they go after the janitor closet they go next door and there's the thing called the prop room and again you think they're in a they're in a, a theater so you think there'd be lots of movie props in there no they go inside and there's just 800 different propellers on the wall and again it's one of those things they don't ver- they never explain the joke they don't like there's not a sound effect they don't linger on it they don't focus on the propellers you just have to realize that prop room is short for propeller room and it's just one of those things that i love that it's such a uh trying to think of what the word here a confident way of telling jokes just knowing enough people will catch that joke you don't have to linger on it and it's not something that they they did throughout their career the the zaz movies kind of became very blatant as once you get into naked gun two the third one and then like uh hot shots and i know they didn't all direct all of them but they really there was a big uh, i think a drop in quality after the naked gun the first one but top secret they were really at their peak and just not pointing out the jokes. You just kind of have to catch the jokes sometime, and that's what I love about them. I think it was their combination, because you would, you would kind of blame, because the, the two of them stayed together, the Zucker brothers, and Jim Abrams went off, but then they both started, they all started doing it later in their movies, so I think it was that the triumvirate, all of them together, they would like, well, that's a little too cheesy, or we don't need to like do that. So the first three, they none of that, that happens in those two. So I think it was the group together. I wouldn't really blame any of the parts. Yeah, I think when they, when they weren't together, they all started doing the same similar thing. But when so, um, my next scene I want to go is right after that scene because you know that's Nick and Hillary, and then the the East Germans. I believe they're East Germans. They pull guns out, and Nick gets arrested for trying to help help Hillary, and he gets sent to this to Floygendorf prison, which is mm-hmm. this. And it, it, it isn't the scene, but this is the setup to it. He's sitting there in this in this jail cell, and you see him marking on the wall, and he's just put down, like, the 20th mark. And you're like, Jesus, how long has he been here? Like, 20, 20 days, 20 weeks? He's there 20 minutes. And then <laughs> right after that, they they uh, this priest walks in. So my next favorite scene is just the priest – is escorting Nick down the hallway to his what is going to be his execution, and he's he's saying all these famous Latin phrases like uh, "e pluribus unum" and every everything you've ever heard like "habeas corpus" and all this stuff. And they take him down to this room, and then he, you see someone sit in a chair. You see the electrocution happen, the lights flash, and then they cut to the priest has been executed. It just. <laughs> I find that just that type of humor was just so weird. Like I've never seen that in another movie and they're going to kill the priest because they don't care. Yeah. You know, what's funny is there's a very similar gag in Johnny dangerously where they're leading Johnny to the electric chair and the priest is reading Latin, but he's doing like pig Latin. 
And it's, yep. very, it's very funny that it's very similar. But yeah, Top Secret goes the extra step is when they get to the electric chair, instead of the prisoner getting electrocuted, they electrocute the priest. And it's just, it's a nice dark turn in that scene. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. A favorite moment I have to point out here, and again, just a running a running gag here is the, somehow these bits made it past my parents and they were allowed to, uh, their nine-year-old son to watch this. But there's a scene where they go to the ballet, which I just talked about earlier, and it's kind of a running gag, and I don't know if, it's just kind of an old-timey thing. When you see male ballet dancers, they'll have a bulge. You'd see them in the front of their pants because they have these skin-tight pants, and males sometimes might have a little bulge there when they're dancing with women. But in Top Secret, they decide to go all the way with it, where the, well, the, all the male ballet dancers have full erections the entire dance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and to the point that at one point, one of the ballet, one of the uh, ballerinas is walking across their erections across the stage. <laughs> It's like, and again, how did my parents allow that? I was nine. How was that okay in our house? But somehow it was. So I just love the Zucker brothers taking the little joke that male ballet dancers will have a bulge in front and just going all the way to the point that they're basically Priapus, the Greek god of the erection. Yeah, they weren't watching Top Secret. I don't know what they did watch. I think they just confirmed the beginning that that boob scene wasn't that bad. Yeah. Just like two minutes in, and they're like, ah, the rest of it's probably okay. And- yeah, I'm sure there's no anal intruder or plot line or anything. Yeah, there's none of this other stuff like uh, actual dildo showing on in a PG movie in a box with a fist on an apparatus. Yeah. All right, what's your third one here? My third one is uh, it's back at that prison. Finally, Nick Rivers, who's the singer, finds this other guy that they're looking for. It's uh, Dr. Paul Flamond. And if you're familiar with the the, uh, the 80s and 90s Batman movies, it's Michael Goff. He's that guy, and he's there, and then they, they have this inter- interaction. They try to talk about one of the plot points about the Polaris mine, and you know he, he says he's Hillary's dad, and then he's got to escape out of there. And my the, the, It's just a joke that just – it's just going to the extreme. It's – Dr. Flamon tells Nick, you got to get out of here because your life will be worth about as much as a truckload of dead rats in a tampon factory. And it's just like, that's got to be really bad. Like if all the things you could be in a tampon factory is bad and a truckload of dead rats is bad altogether. I don't know why there's a truckload of dead rats in a tampon factory, but that's just, that's just, that's real shitty, and that's yeah, that would be really bad. I just find it just of all the things you could say of how bad your your life's going to be if you don't get out of this prison is that. So I just it's a classic line, and it's one of my favorites. All right, I'm I'm actually going to pick my third one is in that very same scene, <clears throat> and this is kind of a more obscure one, but it's just. One of the things you have to understand, and I'll be talking about this in lots of episodes, is my brother and I were like, you know, peas and carrots. We got along great as kids. We have a very similar sense of humor. He loves random, obscure, like, WTF moments in movies that just come out of nowhere. And there's one in Top Secret that he's always loved. And I have to preface this by saying my brother is a very famous, well-respected attorney in Phoenix right now. Very, you know, mature man, has a great career and everything. But <clears throat> the one when I think of my brother, I always think of a scene in Top Secret where where Nick is in the prison with Dr. Flamond, and the doctor's like, we have to, we have to uh, escape by Sunday, or was it Friday? We have to escape by a certain date, and he points yes. to the date. That's the day the Polaris mine will be done. We have to get out of here by then. And Nick says, Sunday? That's Simchas Torah. And I know I blew the pronunciation, but it's like an obscure Jewish holiday 
And that's the first thing that comes to Nick's mind that we have to escape on Sunday. Oh, that's some chest. <laughs> and my brother, for some reason, just died. He would always think that was the funniest line because it's like it's it's not even the joke itself. It's more the presumption of the joke. Like, why would Nick Rivers, an American rock and roll singer who's not Jewish, immediately think of one of the more obscure Jewish holidays as the death a certain day? <laughs> Yeah, so, it's not like Hanukkah or Rosh Hashanah yeah. or Yom Kippur. It's this other thing I don't even know how to pronounce. Yeah. yeah. And so that was my brother for years. He would just quote that. Like, I would say, oh, yeah, we're going uh, we're going to the mall on Friday. He's like, Friday? That's some chess. <laughs> just, if you can't just, do it then. Yeah. So, just, again, it's not even the funniest joke in the movie. But if you're a comedy writer or you just like the way words flow or things like that, the way the Zucker brothers and, and Abrams wrote these movies is hilarious because they're constantly doing little things like that, little a Yiddish phrase here, a Jewish phrase there. And they have a lot of fun in this movie in particular because I believe you know, at least two of them are Jewish. I don't know if all three are, but they're making fun of East Germany, which perhaps Jewish people might not be that thrilled with German history. So there's taking little digs and there's little jokes in the movie like – Anytime people are speaking German in the movie, they're actually speaking Yiddish, and they're trying to make the Germans look as ridiculous and possible as as possible, just sounding and speaking Yiddish. So there's just lots of little things like that you just kind of have to get the more we watch this movie, and that's I have to point out that line in particular. Cool. Uh, I'll go with my uh, my fourth one's about 15 minutes later in the movie. Nick and Hillary escape, and they're in with the. They're going to. They have just met the the French Resistance, which I don't know why there's a French Resistance in East Germany. <laughs> it's really bad in Europe. You have to resist like a thousand miles away. It's but they meet this whole group of people, and I'll let you kind of talk about the the history of the, kind of the joke of meeting all the guys. But the joke I the I, the thing I like is this part where they're going through this whole list of guys, and this one guy pulls out a ladle. <laughs> Like they have all these other weapons, like daggers and cannons, and this guy has got a vest with ladles, and he's like rubbing a ladle on his hand. So that's kind of the setup to my my moment. But do you want to mention kind of the history of that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, what Mike's talking about again. Most people may have seen this movie, but for if you're if we're just describing this movie and it's sight unseen for you, there's a scene where the good guy Val Kilmer stumbles into the the, the all this the soldiers of the French Resistance who are trying to fight the Nazis and. And they're they're upset that a stranger has wandered into their lair. So they all pull out a weapon and point at him very threateningly. And, like, there's a rifle, a gun, a cannon, knives. And one guy pulls out a soup ladle. <laughs> and this was actually going to be one of the things that I pointed out because it's they don't linger on that joke. You just kind of have to notice that the guy's holding a soup ladle all yeah. threateningly. <laughs> like he's going to scoop soup on him. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so then you meet the French resistance and uh, – the leader is a guy named Nigel, and he says, oh, introduce uh, the American to the men. And so we introduce all the leaders, all the French resistance, all these freedom fighters. And again, it's just the Zucker brothers and Abrams, they just love linguistic jokes. So when we start introducing all these French people, every single person's name is some either French food or French term you've heard of before, like déjà vu, chocolate mousse, poisson, souffle. It's just, it's yeah. just one of these dumb jokes. Like these are French words people might know. Yeah, that's poisson. That means fish. Like that's escargot. <laughs> and then there's latrine later, which means toilet. And I have to give a personal shout out to this because they, that is actually something they did in an earlier movie. They did that exact same joke in the Kentucky Fried movie. And this is something I'll be talking about later where there's this Chinese warlord and he's trying to get all his henchmen to go attack the good guy. And he starts yelling out their names, but he's not yelling out names. He's just yelling out Chinese food dishes. 
And it's one of my all-time favorite jokes in the movie. You have to kind of catch what he's naming, like, Mushu pork, chow mein. Like, and so in this, they do the exact same thing in this, where the French people are all just named French foods. And it's just one of those things that's near and dear to my heart. So that's the setup for this scene. But the, my fourth moment is they have this big shootout between the French resistance and the East Germans. And the, the East Germans run in, and the, the, the only – at this point, the only person of color in the movie, Chocolate Moose <laughs> – um, this guy's eaten cigars previously in the movie and drink drinks gasoline. So he's a tough dude. And all these Germans run in and he pulls out his machine gun and only shoots the Germans. He doesn't shoot anyone in the French resistance that's in East Germany. And then when he, he's successful and everyone's like, con, you know, congratulating him. And this random other black guy that's not – everyone in the movie appears to be like in the 50s kind of, mm-hmm. except for this black guy is wearing like – cool stuff for like 1984 walks up and just says my man and high fives him and just keeps walking it's like who the hell is that guy yeah what's I'm he the- doing in there he's not part of the french resistance and he's obviously not part of the east german army like who is he yeah i just love I- it I did this split to kind of uh, portray the scene visually for people who have never seen the movie or have yet to see it or, or don't remember this scene. It's just a really throw, a little throwaway moment. Yeah, Chocolate Moose, the, the guy in the French Resistance, just sprays his gun around the room, shooting randomly in any direction, and somehow manages to hit every single German and none of the, his allies. And it's just this amazing feat of shooting. And he's just kind of stunned. He's standing there like, wow. And then this randomly this other black guy just walks by and says, my man, and gives him a high five. And it's, again... I can just picture my brother and I just giggling uproariously at that when that happened in a movie because it's so random. That's that's just the, again the type of uh, of confidence they had in their comedic storytelling that they could do that. And they just loved it. And the kids are the kids of our generation loved it. I don't know if black kids found it funny, but I know all the white kids I knew loved the hell out of that scene. So, yeah, it's the unsung hero of Top Secret, the other black guy. Yeah, this one black guy, like, this one black oh, we got, like, my black friend. Now, we got two black guys in Top Secret. Like, it's totally cutting edge. Come on. Like, the Ghostbusters, which was really popular earlier in the summer, one black guy. Yeah. Top Secret, too. Come on. <laughs> I guess that's what the never-ending story needed more of, so it could have matched Top Secret. It didn't have the two black guys. Yeah, they had the, they had just their one black guy, too. Yeah, yeah come see? On. Two. Story, turn around. Like, top, <laughs> top secret went above and beyond. All right, let's go for my next moment. Here's a moment that I love. Another one. So many things. I keep. I feel like I'm a broken record. Keep saying things are near and dear to my heart. But there's a scene in Top Secret where where Val Kilmer and Lucy Gutteridge are, are trying to escape from the Germans, and they run into a park, and they're sitting on a bench, and uh, the Nazis come by, and and to, to 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 disguise themselves from the police, Nick and Hillary have to start making out so nobody can really catch them, and they can pass themselves off as like horny teenagers. So it's a cute scene. It's kind of tense. It's actually one of the more dramatic scenes in the movie. But in true Zaz fashion, in the background, there's a background joke going on in the scene, and there's always that's the one thing I have to say when people watch these movies or watch them again. Always look at the background. Like I know. In the ballet scene, there's a tense moment going on where Hillary's being attacked by a cop. And if you look in the background, there's people passing sodas and hot dogs and stuff in this German film. So anyway, yeah. So so Nick and Hillary are making out. And behind them, there's a statue. And it's a bird statue. And for some reason, it's it's, it's a big old statue of a pigeon. And then as Nick and Hillary are making out, these humans in white 
bodysuits come flapping down from the sky and land there, and you hear them pissing on the statue. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's just these humans pissing on a bird statue, and if you listen to the DVD commentary, like, the Zucker brothers love this moment. They're like, well... We just thought it was funny that, you know, most of the time the stereotype is, uh, you know, birds pissing or pooping all over statues of humans. So we just thought it'd be funny to have humans pissing on a statue of a bird. <laughs> Again, there's no reason for any of this going on. It's just a background joke. They don't linger on it. It's not explained. You're just supposed to laugh like, what the hell is going on in the background back there? And then, of course, there's a plop. The bird statue picks a big dump at the end of the scene. And on the DVD commentary, I, they're even saying, well, we'd gone five minutes without a poop joke. We had to throw it in there. But Actual just, poop joke, yeah. yeah. Just the, the humans poop pissing on the bird statue. They just were like, well, we just always wanted to see that in a movie, so let's put that in. I love it. And uh, my last moment is another animal scene, and it's, it was part of the publicity for the whole movie. There's an entire thing where they're trying to break into, back into the prison to get Dr. Fulman and save him and then escape from the country. And the way they're going to break in is they're – I don't know why this is the best way to break into Flugendorf prison, but you got to dress up like a cow. So <laughs> As you Nigel, do. Nigel and Duquois, which I need to look up what Duquois even means, but they're going to be in a cow suit. And there's like a 15-minute scene where – they pretend to be a cow, and there's it's polka dots, and it's wearing boots. Like the, the Germans, maybe they may make great cars, but they're they're worse than the stormtroopers. They're just idiots. They let this cow sneak in, and there's so many antics with the cow. Like it, it, it smokes. It's got that stethoscope on, and just some other funny scenes associated with those guys in the cow suit, which are two of the most. You know, your parents definitely didn't see this because <laughs> there are two scenes in this movie where Nigel's in the back half and a baby calf comes up and somehow gives him fellatio. I don't know why his penis is out while he's in a costume with Duquois, <laughs> how that works. And then later when they try to escape, uh, a bull comes up and gets to know Nigel as well and only... And it's right by a prison, so use your imagination on how that happens. But. Yeah, that this is a scene that's <laughs> yeah really crossed the line of good taste with a cow giving a dude a blowjob and then a man being raped by a bull. <laughs> All yeah. in the same scene, by the way. So <clears throat> I should point out, yeah, that a PG movie that somehow slipped my past my parents. But well, that's my yeah, final like collect, and it's a big collective scene with a lot of jokes around it. But there's just a lot of good jokes in that scene, and it's. Of all the scenes, I think it's probably the, the some of the best jokes are in that just because there's this rapid fire and just different types of jokes. All right. I'm going to finish here with a uh, one that may be a little offensive. I hate to say that I guess the bull rape was not offensive enough. We're just going full on here. Um, <clears throat> towards the end of the movie, and this is if you want to know how to make a 10-year-old crack up in 1984 – in that there was a kind of a running joke if you were a kid growing up in the 70s and the 80s. You didn't want to drive in a Ford Pinto because they exploded. And this was a – this was kind of a, just a known thing. You'd see a Pinto on the road. You'd laugh because there was a rumor that any time a, a, a Pinto got hit from behind, they would blow up because I think they had – if I recall, that had been proven to happen in uh, stress testing and stuff like that. That Pintos are very dangerous, and that's why they were being discontinued, and they were kind of being phased out in the 80s. So – if you'd see a Pinto on the road, it was very funny because this was that old car that was like a death trap. So 
in the movie there's a scene and this, again i just love the presumption that they thought this would be a good scene to put in a movie where a german uh, uh jeep is being it's shot and it's it's coming after the good guys someone shoots the tires out of the jeep and it goes spinning out of control and it goes veering off to the left and you see a ford pinto sitting there which I don't know why there's a Ford Pinto sitting in Germany in the middle of a field in the 80s, but okay. So, and the Jeep is trying its best to slam on the brakes, and it gets almost up to the end of the Pinto, and it just barely hits the back of the Pinto, the smallest possible tap, and they have this great sound effect, like, ding! <laughs> the yes. Pinto just explodes the biggest, it's like the Death Star exploding at the end of Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Again, if you're 10 years old in 1984, that's the funniest thing you've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> There's a Pinto joke in Top Secret. And so I just have to say, I know, I understand people have died in Ford, Pin- Ford Pintos. It's very sad. And I feel horrible if anybody's been affected by that. But as a as a lover of comedy movies, that is about one of the funniest things I ever saw as a kid. <laughs> They probably blew a fifth of the budget on that explosion. Yeah, it's huge, and that's why the money the movie didn't make any money is they're blowing up Ford Pintos. <laughs> you know, it kills me that we went through our top five, and I still have a bunch more. Do you want to keep going? Do you want to go into overtime oh, here? Of course, man. I got notes like crazy. <laughs> there's just some, uh, just some. Uh, there's a scene that I think that needs to be covered. It, it's at the back at the beginning of the movie. You're they're on this train, Nick mm-hmm. and his manager. And you're sitting at the train station, and the Germans come up, and you see there's a big commotion. Like, uh, and then Nick goes, uh, they, they, you see this guy with his package of stuff. And mm-hmm. then it falls to the ground, and you see him go away, and you hear a gunshot. Or that Nick goes, where, where are you guys taking him? Like, we're not taking him anywhere. And you hear this gunshot, and you see these German dogs, like the worst, you know, all the crazy dogs the Germans had, like, Rottweilers and, Ger- mm-hmm. and German Shepherds, shockingly. Mm-hmm. But then they have this little dog, and they tear into the thing, and it's a bunch of dog biscuits. It's just <laughs> that's crazy. Then that right after that happens, they're sitting on the train, and you think the train's going away, but the train station goes to the left, and you're just sitting there watching them look out the window. And for some reason, in East Germany, the train stations and the trains move. Yeah, that so is a I great visual that, gag. Yeah, <clears throat> I was going to say that's that one of my. One of my favorite visual gags in the movie, I agree. Yes. All right, um, we're going for more linguistic jokes here. We're going really obscure on some of these now, where I had the one earlier about, uh, you know, Swedish being backwards from English. So there's another one in the movie where, and they don't really explain it, you just kind of have to notice it, where, you know, when you speak English with a German accent, you the W's become V's, like, ah, welcome, what are you doing, stuff like that. And so when Nick is at his concert and singing for all the girls and stuff, and it's like Beatlemania, they're absolutely in trance with Nick, and, and they're holding up signs, and of course one of the signs says, welcome Nick, which is how welcome Nick would sound in German, but they literally wrote, welcome Nick. And I just always loved, again, the linguistic humor that the Zuckers are like, let's, put, well, let's write something with an English with a German accent, just see if people catch it. And it's just little things like that that I, I love about this movie. I found that good. Um, you, you you alluded to the Blue Lagoon scene, and that's one of the only like straight up, you know, comedies. I guess when when Hillary and Nigel were young, they were stranded together, just like Brooke Shields and uh, Chris Atkins and the Blue Lagoon. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of these funny scenes where they they build their own civilization, they make like their own house and garage. Mm-hmm. But the, the 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 stuff that's that's funny that got past the uh, the lands of MPA screening board is 
you see them, them making out on the beach. They, they started to discover each other. They're teenagers, and they're laying there making out. And then Nigel's got his arm around Hillary, and then you see this other arm come up next to it, the same side of the body. And then they cut to this scene where there's each other's heads and, like, six or eight people just laying there having a big orgy on the beach. So who are these other people? I have I have a great story about that scene in particular. It's funny enough that that passed my parents' screening where we have people having an actual orgy on the beach. But what's funny is about three years later, I think I was about 13, and we were having Christmas at my house, and all the relatives came over. And as always, I'm always I, there's always a movie on in the background in our house. And, of course, it was top secret. So – all my relatives are at my house for Christmas and we're watching top and we're just, they're just opening presents. They're not really watching the movie. And all of a sudden my aunt turns around and she sees a scene in top secret that happens to be on right when we're opening presents. And it's literally the orgy scene from top secret. Yeah. And she sees all these bodies writhing and, and Nigel moaning. Like, oh, and they're just writhing. And she's like, what is that? <laughs> and me being a smart ass. I mean, I'm 13. My answer, this is not what you answer your aunt in front of your parents. She's like, what is that? And I said, I think it's about six people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I was strictly forbidden from ever showing any of my movies on the TV during holidays again after that. That'll be, All right. that'll be what does it? All right, let's do one more each. We've got to wrap this up. I'm trying to keep these shows fairly short. Okay, I'm going to finish with, I'm going to talk about one scene that is especially impressive in this movie, and that is the underwater fight scene. And yes. I, I feel bad. I was probably stealing your last one. But the shot towards the end of the movie where Val Kilmer and the bad guy go toppling out of this moving truck. And it's a really actually kind of impressive stunt. They go flying over a railing into the water. And they end up down underneath the water. And they start hitting each other and punching each other. And it's really one of the masterpiece scenes of this movie. Because as the scene goes along, first they're punching each other. And then all of a sudden... And uh, Val Kilmer pulls out a bar, but the bad guy holds out a bottle and hits him over the head. And then all of a sudden there's a bunch of cowboys playing poker around a table. And all of a sudden there's like a whole full on bar with a bartender and a singing piano girl. Like it's a full on Wild West bar fight underwater. And it just it gets progressively more and more elaborate. The scene they keep adding things like there's a window and a chandelier and all sorts of. And it's just it's one of those scenes you kind of have to see to believe. And it's again, I wouldn't say it's the funniest scene in the movie, but it's just one of the trademark scenes of Top Secret, that this underwater fight scene that devolves into a full-on Wild West brawl, and with the end, someone gets punched out a window, which I don't know why the window's underwater, but it's just, I just love the confidence in the storytelling where you'd be able to put that scene into a movie. And then I have to say, just as a side note, I love the fact that the two stunt doubles they picked for Val Kilmer and uh, I don't even know the actor who played the bad guy look nothing like them. There's not even an attempt to make the stunt doubles look yeah. like the main actors, like to the point that the bad guy has the wrong color hair. <laughs> so it's just... They guess they're the only two stuntmen in East Germany they could find. <laughs> they couldn't, yeah. I think the other black guy was the third choice, so they could have thrown him in there and better to pass him off as Val Kilmer. Along with Hans and Franz with different hair colors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just have to give a shout-out to that underwater fight scene. I don't know how they filmed it. It had to take so many takes. But yeah, it's just... I mean, again, so many things about Top Secret, but you'll remember the underwater fight scene when you see it. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Well, I'll, I'll close with I was gonna. There's some just great just one-liners, but I don't want to end with any of those. I think I'll just end my my favorite moment is any of the five songs and their whole production of all of them. So mm-hmm. that'll be my capper. You got skeet skeet surfing, which is at the beginning where they're literally surfing and shooting skeet. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tutti Fruity, and then um, Are You Lonesome Tonight? All the music montages, 
Mm-hmm. Are all extremely comedic. So I'll just put that as a tie for my last moment is all of those scenes together. Like just watching one of those scenes is they're all great. There's all lots of sight gags and everything else. So I'll, I'll go with that as just a tie between all, all, all those right. scenes. Probably mostly skeet surfing just because it opens up the whole movie and you figure out this is what this kind of movie is going to be like for 90 minutes. It's just <laughs> utter insanity. That's an excellent choice. I'm glad you mentioned that. Because, yeah, the songs are a big part of this movie. They're all really good. I mean, they, again, the soundtrack was a fairly big seller at the time. Yes. And uh, just to wrap it up, I just have to point out, for people who may not have seen Top Secret in a while, i got to give a shout-out to the fact that this movie, just ridiculous stuff, crazy things happening all over the place, sight gags, background jokes, jokes on top of jokes, sight gags that are upstaging other sight gags. It's crazy. And then the movie ends with the mother of all Wizard of Oz homages. Hillary's saying goodbye to everyone, and the last line of the movie is, and I'll miss you most of all, Scarecrow. And again, I cannot think of a better ending for a movie that is just beloved by me, Mike, so many people I know, yet just not generally uh, considered one of the all-time comedy greats of the 80s, and I just don't get it. So, again, well, do you have anything else to add? Hopefully this changes we... that. Hopefully, yeah. changes it all. That's right. All my dozens of listeners, we're going we're gonna to take it over the world. But yeah, just if you haven't seen Top Secret, just go watch it. If I'm sure you've seen Airplane or The Naked Gun. Top Secret's the exact same type of movie, just without as much structure. It's just crazy, and it's just, you know, not all the jokes hit. Some of them are dated, some you won't even like. But there's enough in there, if you like comedy, if you like the way comedy is structured, if you want to write comedy, you can just learn so much just by watching some of the stuff they, I wouldn't even say pull off, I would just say attempt. Yeah, there's a, most of it's pulled off, but there's some things that aren't. But yeah, check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, watch it with some buddies. If you if they if, if you a bunch of you've never seen it, you're gonna you're gonna love it forever, guaranteed. All right. Well, I want to thank you for joining me here on the uh, inaugural voyage of staff picks. Um, I, uh, I I think it went well, and I'm hopefully I'm uh, very excited to see if our listeners enjoy this one because again, this is what the show is going to be. It's going to be me and a uh, co-host. And I'm going to try to have a different co-host every episode. I want to kind of keep the dynamic different and fresh and have a different energy in every episode. So I'm trying to just get people I know, people I know that like movies, people that are maybe even uh, involved with movies, stars of movies. I've reached out to a couple that might want to be on here. So it's just one of those things. So thank you, Mike, for uh, being my uh, guinea pig on the first show. It's my pleasure. I'll end with be kind, please rewind. So, yeah. (laughs) For those who don't know, the title of this podcast is Staff Picks. And that's the point of the show, as Mike alluded. It's a video store reference. Back in the day, Blockbuster Video used to have uh, a section on the wall called Staff Picks in their video stores where the employees could recommend their favorite movies and just wanted people to know about them. So a lot of obscure, underloved movies would be listed there. And that's the point of the show, Staff Picks. I just want to highlight movies that might not get the love that they deserve. So, again, my name is Mario Lanza. I'll be putting out these shows fairly regularly. If you want to reach me, you can uh, email me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com. Let's see, you can also reach me on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. I have a Patreon page as well, patreon.com slash Mario Lanza. And if you want to go on there, I'd love any support. I kind of need new equipment. I have a crappy uh, microphone here that I'm trying to upgrade. But basically, one of the benefits of one of my, if you're my patrons, is people are on the $5 tier. That's the people I'm going to go to once I start getting regular co hosts. Those are the people that are going to be on the show all the time. So if you really want to be on the show, if you have a movie you love, if you have a staff pick that you feel very strongly about, email me or join my patron page and I'll see if I can get you on the air. So for now, this is Mario Lanza signing off and uh, we will talk to you again soon. Thanks for joining me. 
Bye. Nice shooting. My man. <laughs>